Section two of The Plain Speaker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob Gonzalez. The Plain Speaker Opinions on Books, Men, and Things by William Hazlitt. Section two On the Prose Style of Poets. Part two. What can be more remote, for instance, and at the same time more apposite, more the same, than the following comparison of the English Constitution to the proud keep of Windsor in the celebrated letter to a noble lord? Such are their ideas, such their religion, and such their law. But as to our country and our race, as long as the well-compacted structure of our church and state the sanctuary the holy of holies of that ancient law defended by reverence defended by power a fortress at once and a temple shall stand inviolate on the brow of the british zion as long as the british monarchy not more limited than fenced by the orders of the state shall like the proud keep of windsor rising in the majesty of proportion and girt with the double belt of its kindred and coeval towers, as long as this awful structure shall oversee and guard the subjected land, so long the mounds and dikes of the low, fat Bedford level will have nothing to fear from all the pickaxes of all the levellers of France, as long as our sovereign lord the king and his faithful subjects, the lords and commons of this realm, the triple cord which no man can break, the solemn, sworn, constitutional, frank pledge of this nation, the firm guarantees of each other's being, and each other's rights, the joint and several securities, each in its place and order, for every kind and every quality of property and of dignity. As long as these endure, so long the Duke of Bedford is safe, and we are all safe together the high from the blights of envy and the spoliations of rapacity, the low from the iron hand of oppression and the insolent spurn of contempt. Amen, and so be it, and so it will be. Dum domus inie capitoli immobile saxum acolet, imperiumque pater romanus habebit. Nothing can well be more impracticable to a simile than the vague and complicated ideal which is here embodied in one. Yet how finely, how nobly it stands out, in natural grandeur, in royal state, with double barriers round it to answer for its identity, with buttress, frieze, and coin of vantage, for the imagination to make its pendant bed and procreant cradle, till the idea is confounded with the object representing it the wonder of a kingdom and then how striking how determined the descent at one fell swoop to the low fat bedford level poetry would have been bound to maintain a certain decorum a regular balance between these two ideas sterling prose throws aside all such idle respect to appearances and with its pen like a sword sharp and sweet lays open the naked truth the poet's muse is like a mistress whom we keep only while she is young and beautiful durante bene placito the muse of prose 
is like a wife whom we take during life for better for worse burke's execution like that of all good prose savors of the texture of what he describes and his pen slides or drags over the ground of his subject like the painter's pencil the most rigid fidelity and the most fanciful extravagance meet and are reconciled in his pages i never pass windsor but i think of this passage in burke and hardly know to which i am indebted most for enriching my moral sense that or the fine picturesque stanza in gray from windsor's heights the expanse below of mead of lawn of wood survey etc i might mention that the so much admired description in one of the india speeches of hyder ali's army i think it is which now hung like a cloud upon the mountain and now burst upon the plain like a thunderbolt would do equally well for poetry or prose it is a bold and striking illustration of a naturally impressive object this is not the case with the abbe Sieyes's far-famed pigeon-holes nor with the comparison of the duke of bedford to the leviathan tumbling about his unwieldy bulk in the ocean of royal bounty nothing here saves the description but the force of the invective the startling truth the vehemence the remoteness the aptitude the perfect peculiarity and coincidence of the illusion no writer would ever have thought of it but himself no reader can ever forget it what is there in common one might say between a peer of the realm and that sea-beast of those created hugest that swim the ocean stream yet burke has knit the two ideas together and no man can put them asunder no matter how slight and precarious the connection the length of line it is necessary for the fancy to give out in keeping hold of the object on which it has fastened he seems to have put his hook in the nostrils of this enormous creature of the crown that empurples all its track through the glittering expanse of a profound and restless imagination in looking into the iris of last week i find the following passages in an article on the death of lord castlereagh the splendour of majesty leaving the british metropolis careering along the ocean and landing in the capital of the north is distinguished only by glimpses through the dense array of clouds in which death hid himself while he struck down to the dust the stateliest courtier near the throne and the broken train of which pursues and crosses the royal progress wherever its glories are presented to the eye of imagination the same indefatigable mind a mind of all work which thus ruled the continent with a rod of iron the sword within the walls of the house of commons ruled a more distracted region with a more subtle and finely tempered weapon the tongue and truly if this was the only weapon his lordship wielded there where he had daily to encounter and frequently almost alone enemies more formidable than bonaparte it must be acknowledged that he achieved greater victories than demosthenes or cicero ever gained in far more easy fields of strife nay he wrought miracles of speech outvying those miracles of song which orpheus is said to have performed when not only men and brutes but rocks woods and mountains followed the sound of his voice and lyre 
but there was a worm at the root of the gourd that flourished over his head in the brightest sunshine of a court both perished in a night and in the morning that which had been his glory and his shadow covered him like a shroud while the corpse notwithstanding all his honours and titles and offices lay unmoved in the place where it fell till a judgment had been passed upon him which the poorest peasant escapes when he dies in the ordinary course of nature this it must be confessed is very unlike burke yet mr montgomery is a very pleasing poet and a strenuous politician the whole is travelling out of the record and to no sort of purpose the author is constantly getting away from the impression of his subject to envelop himself in a cloud of images which weaken and perplex instead of adding force and clearness to it provided he is figurative he does not care how commonplace or irrelevant the figures are and he wanders on delighted in a labyrinth of words like a truant schoolboy who is only glad to have escaped from his task he has a very slight hold of his subject and is tempted to let it go for any fallacious ornament of style how obscure and circuitous is the allusion to the clouds in which death hid himself to strike down the stateliest courtier near the throne how hackneyed is the reference to demosthenes and cicero and how utterly quaint and unmeaning is the ringing the changes upon orpheus and his train of men beasts woods rocks and mountains in connection with lord castlereagh but he is better pleased with this classical fable than with the death of the noble peer and delights to dwell upon it to however little use so he is glad to take advantage of the scriptural idea of a gourd not to enforce but as a relief from his reflections and points his conclusion with a puling sort of commonplace that a peasant who dies a natural death has no coroner's inquest to sit upon him all these are the faults of the ordinary poetical style poets think they are bound by the tenor of their indentures to the muses to elevate and surprise in every line and not having the usual resources in common or abstracted subjects aspire to the end without the means they make or pretend an extraordinary interest where there is none they are ambitious vain and indolent more busy in preparing idle ornaments which they take their chance of bringing in somehow or other than intent on eliciting truths by fair and honest inquiry it should seem as if they considered prose as a sort of waiting-maid to poetry that could only be expected to wear her mistress's cast-off finery poets have been said to succeed best in fiction and the account here given may in part explain the reason that is to say they must choose their own subject in such a manner as to afford them continual opportunities of appealing to the senses and exciting the fancy dry details abstruse speculations do not give scope to vividness of description and as they cannot bear to be considered dull they become too often affected extravagant and insipid i am indebted to mr coleridge for the comparison of poetic prose to the second-hand finery of a lady's maid just made use of 
he himself is an instance of his own observation and what is even worse of the opposite fault an affectation of quaintness and originality with bits of tarnished lace and worthless frippery he assumes a sweeping oriental costume or borrows the stiff dresses of our ancestors or starts an eccentric fashion of his own he is swelling and turgid everlastingly aiming to be greater than his subject filling his fancy with fumes and vapours in the pangs and throes of miraculous parturition and bringing forth only stillbirths he has an incessant craving as it were to exalt every idea into a metaphor to expand every sentiment into a lengthened mystery voluminous and vast confused and cloudy his style is not succinct but encumbered with a train of words and images that have no practical and only a possible relation to one another that add to its stateliness but impede its march one of his sentences winds its forlorn way obscure over the page like a patriarchal procession with camels laden wreathed turbans household wealth the whole riches of the author's mind poured out upon the barren waste of his subject the palm-tree spreads its sterile branches overhead and the land of promise is seen in the distance all this is owing to his wishing to overdo everything to make something more out of everything than it is or than it is worth the simple truth does not satisfy him no direct proposition fills up the moulds of his understanding all is foreign far-fetched irrelevant laboured unproductive to read one of his disquisitions is like hearing the variations to a piece of music without the score or to vary the simile he is not like a man going a journey by the stage-coach along the high road but is always getting into a balloon and mounting into the air above the plain ground of prose whether he soars to the empyrean or dives to the centre as he sometimes does it is equally to get away from the question before him and to prove that he owes everything to his own mind his object is to invent he scorns to imitate the business of prose is the contrary but mr coleridge is a poet and his thoughts are free i think the poet laureate is a much better prose writer his style has an antique quaintness with a modern familiarity he has just a sufficient sprinkling of archaisms of allusions to old fuller and burton and latimer to set off or qualify the smart flippant tone of his apologies for existing abuses or the ready galling virulence of his personal invectives mr southey is a faithful historian and no inefficient partisan in the former character his mind is tenacious of facts and in the latter his spleen and jealousy prevent the extravagant and erring spirit of the poet from losing itself in fancy's endless maze he stoops to earth at least and prostitutes his pen to some purpose not at the same time losing his own soul and gaining nothing by it and he vilifies reform and praises the reign of george the third in good set terms in a straightforward intelligible practical pointed way he is not buoyed up by conscious power out of the reach of common apprehensions but makes the most of the obvious advantages he possesses you may complain of a pettiness and petulance of manner but certainly there is no want of spirit or facility of execution 
he does not waste powder and shot in the air but loads his piece takes a level aim and hits his mark one would say though his muse is ambidexter that he wrote prose with his right hand there is nothing awkward or circuitous or feeble in it the words of mercury are harsh after the songs of apollo but this would not apply to him his prose lucubrations are pleasanter than reading his poetry indeed he is equally practised and voluminous in both and it is no improbable conjecture that mr southey may have had some idea of rivalling the reputation of voltaire in the extent the spirit and the versatility of his productions in prose and verse except that he has written no tragedies but wat tyler to my taste the author of rimini and editor of the examiner is among the best and least corrupted of our poetical prose writers in his light but well-supported columns we find the raciness the sharpness and sparkling effect of poetry with little that is extravagant or far-fetched and no turgidity or pompous pretension perhaps there is too much the appearance of relaxation and trifling as if he had escaped the shackles of rhyme a caprice a levity and a disposition to innovate in words and ideas still the genuine master spirit of the prose writer is there the tone of lively sensible conversation and this may in part arise from the author's being himself an animated talker mr hunt wants something of the heat and earnestness of the political partisan but his familiar and miscellaneous papers have all the ease grace and point of the best style of essay writing many of his effusions in the indicator show that if he had devoted himself exclusively to that mode of writing he inherits more the spirit of steel than any man since his time lord byron's prose is bad that is to say heavy labored and coarse he tries to knock someone down with the butt-end of every line which defeats his object and the style of the author of waverley if he comes fairly into this discussion as mere style is villainous it is pretty plain he is a poet for the sound of names runs mechanically in his ears and he rings the changes unconsciously on the same words in a sentence like the same rhymes in a couplet not to spin out this discussion too much i would conclude by observing that some of the old english prose writers who were not poets are the best and at the same time the most poetical in the favourable sense among these we may reckon some of the old divines and jeremy taylor at the head of them there is a flush like the dawn over his writings the sweetness of the rose the freshness of the morning dew there is a softness in his style proceeding from the tenderness of his heart but his head is firm and his hand is free his materials are as finely wrought up as they are original and attractive in themselves milton's prose style savours too much of poetry and as i have already hinted of an imitation of the latin dryden's is perfectly unexceptionable and a model in simplicity strength and perspicuity for the subjects he treated of end of section two recording by bob gonzalez tampa florida